All right, Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word? Father God, thank you so much again for the great opportunity that we can come together. Yes, Lord. With one mind, one spirit, depending on you and you alone, Father God. Father, your word declare that you are so merciful, so gracious, slow to anger, Lord. We pray this morning, Father God, as we come together, Father God, that we can hear from you. Father God, that we will obey you. We will do exactly what you call us to do, Father God. That we would apply that truth to our own personal life. And that we will definitely walk according to your will. Lord Jesus and righteousness, Father God, that we will do, uh, that we will be your ambassador. We will glorify the name of Jesus this morning, Father God, and that yes, we will exalt your name, Father God, that this will be an awesome time together, Father God, and it will be a, a beautiful aroma to your natural, Father God. So we thank you for the privilege that we have that we can come together and worship you in the spirit of Father God. So have your way this morning, Father God. We love you. We worship you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
depression cease Let every dark assignment Bow down at Jesus' feet Let every curse be broken Let every storm be tamed And all that come against us Be bound in Jesus' name
thank you. Thank you for a new day, Father. Your mercies are new. Thank you, Father, that your love endures forever. There's no one like you, God. You are holy and righteous. Slow to anger. Thank you, Father, that you've made a way for us through your Son, Jesus. Thank you, God, for, for those who are in Christ, that they have been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I thank you, Father, that our confidence is in Christ and in Christ alone. I thank you, Father, that the lost can be found in Christ, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Thank you, Father, that it's your will and your desire that none shall perish. Thank you, God, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus, and that you've made a way, God. So, Father, I ask that our hearts would be of good soil this morning to receive the living word that it'll take root and it would produce lasting fruit in our lives. Father, for those who are in Christ, you have begun a work in us, Father, that you are faithful to complete. So I pray, Father, that we would not try to to live out what you have birthed within us in our own strength. But that we would walk in the Spirit habitually so that we would not gratify the desires of our flesh. So I thank you for the victory that is found only in Christ and in Christ alone. So have your way among us this day, I pray, Father. Strengthen us and encourage us, Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And so as I've been asking us, how are we living? Where are you allowing your feet to lead you? What are you putting your hands towards? What are you setting your gaze upon? Oh, how I pray that as you are living each and every single day, taking each and every single step, that you're doing it to honor God, that you're seeking Him to live a life that honors Him, that you allow the Holy Spirit to work within you by the means of His grace and His mercy, to transform you by changing the way you think so that you're sowing seeds of righteousness and from that you are harvesting a righteous life in Christ. Because what you sow to is what you're going to reap. What you plant is what you're going 
to harvest. If you're just seeking after self, if you're still allowing your insecurities to define you, your wounds to haunt you, your sin to master you, then that is what you will reap back upon you. Death and destruction. Nothing good. The only thing that is found good is in Christ. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's a holy God. Today, before we get into our scriptures, I want to talk about, and it's not funny, but it's kind of funny how Norma was praying earlier about unbelief. Because over the past couple of weeks, the scriptures that I've been studying in my own personal reflection are unbelief. And had there were a multitude of people following Jesus, but they did not believe. They heard His words. They experienced the miraculous. And yet, they did not believe. Even the religious leaders of that time did not believe in what they were preaching. And as it was then, as it was even before Christ, as it will be, as we're waiting waiting for His return, unbelief. Unbelief is an issue among God's people. And when we fall prey to that, we open ourselves up to everything and to anything and to anyone else to rule and to reign. And oh, how we have to be diligent to remain steadfast, to keep our gaze set upon Christ, to recognize that He is faithful to complete what He has begun. Unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. I'm going to read it again. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. I shared with you last week and I want to continue to remind us we must be diligent to abide in Christ because apart from Him we can do nothing. Deception is running amok. Popular ministries, preachers and evangelists who have a huge platform, preachers that may not have a huge platform but are leading a congregation, they're leading people astray 
what they once taught, they're no longer believing. The words in which they are sharing are no longer true. Truth. And as it is with Christians, their faith in Christ has been put aside and they've picked up the mantle of unbelief. And you can tell by the way they're living. You can tell by their post. You can tell by their confusion when it comes to sin and righteousness. Good and evil. And we as the church, as the bride of Christ, we must stand and stand there for them, firmly rooted in Christ, so that we will not be swept away and get called up and begin to follow doctrines of demons. And I continually to see over and over all through social media, so-called Christians declaring the right to themselves and the right to sin. And God help us. God help us. I continually remind us that the Christ in whom we say we believe in is the resurrected Christ. He's not still in the tomb. He's not hanging on the cross. No, He is resurrected. And in Him is freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. We have been born again of a new nature. Our lives are not our own any longer. We belong to Christ. We have been engrafted into His kingdom. We have been given the right to call Him Abba, to call Him Daddy. We have been adopted by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know God? Do you truly believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has risen from the dead, and we must continue to remind each other of our beliefs. We must continually to remind ourselves of our belief. We are behind enemy lines. Are you preparing each day for battle? So I was ministering to someone this week. There was such discouragement. There was such an emptiness. There was such a brokenness. And I reminded them of the goodness of God. And even as I was sharing on the goodness of God, the victory that is found in Christ, the hope that is found in Christ, it was as if I was talking to a wall. So hardened. So unreachable. And I finally just looked at the person and said, Sin is mastering you. And that is not your position in Christ. And it's your choice. It's your choice. 
I've always said to us, we all can have and share our sad story. We all have a sad story. But in Christ, we are to share His story. What He has done. The freedom that is found in Christ. And we should get up daily honoring Christ and honoring gift, the gift of freedom of salvation and not be so easily swayed by the temporalness of life or the temporal desires within and trade our birthright just for a moment of, satis- of, of, of being satisfied or, 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 or giving ourselves to something that we think we need that ultimately in the end destroys us. Your belief in Christ should be defining you. Your belief in who Jesus Christ is should be the hope that sustains you. It says here, Make sure that your hearts in Hebrews 3, verse 12 to 13, are not evil and unbelieving. Turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. It didn't say some days. No, it said every day. Warn each other. Encourage each other. Edify each other. Build each other up. Every day. Every day, every day, (laughs) listen to what scripture is saying. Psalm 78 verse 32. But in spite all of this, the people kept sinning. Despite his wonders, they refused to trust him. And this is a scripture we've read before. God was revealing himself, delivering his people, providing for them as they cried out to him. And it says here in Psalm 78, verse 32, but in spite of this, the people kept sinning. Despite his wonders, they refused to trust him. Are you trusting God? Are you trusting him? Because your trust in Him will mature you, will grow you, will allow your roots to grow down deep in Him. Living a life that honors Him. We're not to continue to allow sin to master us. And yet I've had had to have another conversation with a Christian this week. as they began to to remind me that we're all just sinners. And so I had to remind them, no, no, I will not yoke myself to that belief. And she stood there in my doorway and looked at me strangely I said, I will not yoke myself to that unbelief. 
I said, because we were sinners. <laughs> but now we're children of God. First John says, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember. So it's not that you won't sin, but sin is not your master. And she looked at me, she goes, I needed to hear that today. We must encourage each other. We must edify each other. And we must build each other up with His truth. Not our truth, but with His truth. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is victorious. And in Him there is freedom. Again, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Why, will I, why would I declare that I believe in Jesus, that He is the Son of God, that He is risen from the dead, and yet allow myself to not really believe it because I'm allowing sin to master me. I'm actually living a life that says sin is greater than the God in whom I say I believe. And how confusing is that to the world around you? How f confusing is that to the temporalness of life? How confusing is that to those who are apart from Christ, who are just worshiping the created, seeking to be fulfilled by the created, how confusing it is when we say that we are children of God, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He's risen from the dead, and we put Him on the back burner, and we still continue to seek after the temporalness, after the created, to satisfy us. No. Christ is to be our all in all. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. You love Him with your whole being. Not just on Sunday mornings. Not just when you get a little spark of faith. No, it is a continual process. A life lived as unto Christ. Drawing closer and closer and closer to Him. Again, the Christian life is a life that is moving forward. It's not a life living in the past. It's not a life stuck in the present. But it's a life that is moving forward. That is looking forward. And ultimately what we're looking for and what we're moving towards is His return. We are preparing for our groom to come for us. We are preparing to meet Him face to face. We are longing for His return. Are you longing for His return? Luke chapter 22 verse 67. And they said, tell us, are you the Messiah? But He replied, if I tell you, you won't believe me. 
Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Tell us, tell us if you're the Messiah. If I, Jesus saying, the Messiah, the Son of God, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And I, these past couple weeks that I've been just meditating on unbelief and just praying through scriptures and looking how Jesus dealt with it, I thought, for goodness sakes, if you were in the natural mind, if you were just looking at Jesus' ministry from a natural view, you would go, it's not successful. But praise be to God, he didn't come to meet man's standards. No, he came to set the captives free. He came to bring forth salvation. To deliver us from that which held us bound. <laughs> Jesus, you all. Jesus. There he was. And he looked out. And he saw their unbelief. And what I was so encouraged by Jesus is that the multitude was bound by unbelief, but it didn't detour his steps to the cross. He knew his purpose. It didn't stop. He didn't give up and give in and get down. <laughs> No, he knew the cross was set before him. He didn't peddle a false gospel to those with unbelief in hopes that they would come to believe. He maintained who he was and he continued to offer hope. John 5, verse 37 through 40. And the Father, Jesus' word, who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. I shared this scripture last week. I've been meditating and kind of just parked on it. Like these are Jesus' words. He's talking to those who think they're in right relationship with God. And they're not. They're not. And he says here, and I, and I pointed it out last week, What's keeping people from coming to God? Them. They're refusing to believe. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Look at the, the desire of the people. Look at the desire and even the hope that they have for eternal life. They see their need for eternal life. They're searching the eternal scriptures. But the scriptures, Jesus says, they point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. 
you know, again, the time and the day and the age in which we are living. The age to come. The days that, are, that we're heading into. And they're going to get darker. I mean, it is so... Conf- if I was a new Christian, it was already hard enough to come to Christ back in the days when I came to Christ. But I praise God that He kept me. I didn't get wounded and hurt when I was hurt or when I was shunned or when I was this or when I was that. God reminded me. Man didn't begin this work in me. He did. Yes, at times it is discouraging. Yes, at times I wanted to throw my hands up. Yes, at times I was like, God, I don't want to do this any longer. I don't want to live for you. I didn't ask for this. This is crazy. But he's so gracious and he's so kind and he's so quick to intervene and to step in and remind me and to remind you that your life is not your own. Keep your eyes on me. Focus and fix your gaze upon me. Serve and love. Hold up truth. Don't deny it. Hold it up. These people were seeking eternal life. They were reading through Scripture. Do you know how many people know Scripture? And yet, they don't believe in Jesus. And you can tell by their eyes. He is not this limp-wristed, weakened God. He is God, y'all. He is almighty, all-knowing. Sovereign. He's good. There's no error found in God. But you look at what's happening in the church today. What's been happening in the church and what will continue to happen. This word is going to be perverted. Doctrines of demons are being taught. And Christians, so-called, are being lulled asleep. They have a form of religion, but they're denying the power of God because they do not believe. They do not believe. And we better wake up. We better wake up and not allow ourselves to fall prey to a watered-down gospel to a Jesus still trapped in the tomb because people want to continue to worship themselves and just stamp Jesus on their forehead. I'm a follower. I'm a follower. No, you're not. You're following yourself. You're following your desires, your wants, your needs. Your life is all about you. Do you remember that the call of a disciple Jesus himself said, Consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. Consider what you're up against to follow me. You're going to be hated by the world, you're going to be persecuted. Think about what, what the call is of a disciple. You must deny yourself, you must pick up the cross, and you must follow me. 
every day, every moment, every hour, every second. And yet, are we really disciples? Are we truly following Jesus? I've always warned us for years. We think that we're deceiving others. Because everyone hears how we pray, everyone hears this or that or this or that. And oh, they, you know, oh, look at them. And yet their lives are full of nothing. 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 There, there's such craziness and brouhaha. The, the, the greatest deception is that you deceived yourself into thinking somehow that you're saved. That you're in. That when you take your last breath, you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But in reality, you're going to be like the people the Bible talks about. When they stand before him, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say, but Jesus, didn't we do? Didn't we do? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You who've allowed sin to master you. I don't know you. doesn't wake you up. If that doesn't wake me up. What are we doing as as the church? What are we doing as the church at large? What are we doing? We are to be living for him. We're to be honoring him, it'll cost you your jobs. It'll cost you your conformity to the ways of our society. You're not going to be liked. It may cost you your possessions. It may cost you your relationships. It may cost you your family. But you better cling to Jesus. You better hold tightly to Jesus. And we're so afraid to speak truth. We're so afraid to stand up. And do you know the reason why? I've shared it with us over and over. If you're not evangelizing, if you're not sharing your faith, if you're not out talking about Jesus, if you can't even sit down and look at your family... And encourage them and edify them and pray and uplift them and uphold truth. The reason why that's happening is because you're not doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for yourself. Because when you understand, when you believe with all that you are, when you understand the freedom you have been given, you don't continue to allow captives to remain enslaved. You don't continue just to walk past them as while they're being dragged to hell. 
You just don't exist among them. For God's sakes, what are we doing? No, when you know that you know, you get in the way. You stand as an obstacle in their life, leading them to hell. No, you stand and you push them back towards God. You use the, the, as the Holy Spirit empowers you the truth of God's Word. You move in what you've been gifted in, the ministry of reconciliation. And you point them to Jesus. Not the limp-wristed, weakened Jesus. Oh, just go to Jesus. No, no, Jesus. The Son of God, the one who has defeated sin and death, not the Jesus that's being peddled out there. Oh, just come to Jesus. Just say a little prayer. Jesus, 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 Jesus. No, we do not want to turn others out to be twice as much the son of hell as we are. Just because we hold a form of religion. No, we got to get up, y'all. We got to get up. We got to stop settling. And we better start believing. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Search the scriptures all you want. Go to church all you want. Post all you want. Write all you want. Speak all you want. But it points to me, he says. And you're not even following me. You refuse to. John 1, verse 10 through 13. He, Jesus, came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But, oh, praise be to God for good news. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are, born, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Jesus, he came into the world that he created. And the world didn't recognize him. He came to his very own people and they rejected him. But those who would believe, listen to this scripture, and not only believe, but accept. <laughs> he gave the right to become children of God. And that, my friends, what a testimony of His goodness and of His love. So the multitude may not believe and turn from Him, but even if it was just one who believed, that and that alone is amazing. Because when you believe, when you accept, you're born again. Everything else is against you. Everything else is pulling you left and right. But when you believe, when you have accepted him, you can stand with the assurance of who he is.
and you don't have to continue to go back. As I talked to someone this week, you're going back again because it's your choice. Because for whatever reason, in your heart of hearts, you don't believe. And you better deal with that unbelief. You better deal with that unbelief because if not, it'll deal with you. It'll harden you. The first scripture we read, you will turn away from the living God. You will turn away. You will become hardened. You see, that's all the flesh knows to do is to die. But you are not to walk according to the flesh. You are to walk according to the Spirit as He leads. This Christian life can be lived. Why aren't we believing that? The Bible says He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. But we allow our failures, we allow our temptations, we allow all the brokenness that has been healed to continue to define us. It says here that you were reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. That's how you were first born, naturally. But when you come to Christ, when you believe, when you have ex- when you've accepted Him, you are reborn of the Spirit of God, by God, for God empowered by God. Let's not forget if we're saying we believe and we're accepted if we're declaring that we are in Christ, that we are His children, we have God in us. We have received the Holy Spirit and the Word of God tells us we are not to live lives that grieve Him. We have been marked, we have been sealed By the Holy Spirit within us. God in us. God empowering us. So what are we doing sitting in unbelief? What are we doing allowing ourselves to be hardened by sin? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. I've said this phrase over and over. You ought to be preaching yourself happy. Every single day, preaching yourself happy, living it out. Well, what do I do when times come that are hard and trying on me? Go through them. Go through them. You're in Christ. You need those times to develop you. Stop allowing those times to define you. Look to Christ. We must go through trials in order to equip us. We've got to get away from the mentality and the desire of the lost that wants to live a life that feels entitled. Just do for me, do for me, give me, give me, do for me, do for me, give me, give me. We want everything easy. That's not the Christian life. You are behind enemy lines. You have been purposed for today to advance his kingdom. And yet, 
we get up and we think just of ourselves and of our needs and of our wants and of our families and everything and anything. We just want a comfortable life and that is not what Christ calls us to. He does not call us to a comfortable life in this earth. We're called to war. We're called to stand. We're called to move forward, to advance His kingdom. And the way we advance it is allowing Him to lead us. Our warfare is not as if we belong to the world. Our warfare is to reflect His kingdom. And the greatest weapon we have in our arsenal for this battle is love. 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 Not the world's way, but the way of Christ. Mark 9, verse 24. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. His father brought his lame son to Jesus. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Oh, how I pray that that would be our prayer as we go through this week. You know exactly where you are. You know exactly what you're going through. So if you're having an issue with unbelief, then cry out as this father did. Cry out as Norma did. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. I want to be all in, Jesus. I just don't want to be by word. No, I want to be all in. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And do you know how gracious and kind he is? He meets us right there. He doesn't cross his arms. He doesn't tap his foot. He doesn't berate us or beat us down. No, he receives us right where we're at because he knows exactly where we're at. And he's just waiting for us to let go of the temporalness of this life. To let go of the fears of this life. To let go of the lust of this, for this life. To let go of the wounds and the brokenness and the past that has defined this life. He longs to see us Whole, living out from a place, nothing missing, nothing broken. No, our goal right now on this earth is not to be perfect, but it is to mature. We're not perfected until we're with Him. But for God's sakes, we've got to stop peddling a Christianity out there that keeps people enslaved and, and to sin. 
allowing sin to master them. It is a mockery when we preach that. We are mocking God. We are mocking God. And we're hindering people from coming to Christ. But above all, you're hardening your heart towards Him. We better wake up. We better wake up. So I wrote this little prayer I just want to share with you. And then um, before we get into the Scriptures, I just want to go back and hear that song that, that is into our time of the Word. And as the song and the words are being sung over us, look to Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. Are you dealing with unbelief? Don't beat yourself up. Don't punish yourself. Don't get in that weird shame and condemnation. Oh, I'm just, you got to get your eyes off of yourself. And you got to get them on Christ. Lord, thank you for my faith. Sustain it, strengthen it, deepen it, and don't let it fail. Make it the power of my life so that in everything I do, you get the glory as the great I am. Amen?
God, I pray that you all be encouraged to keep your focus and your, your eyes focused and fixed upon Him. That you truly know Him. That He's just not a concept. That He's a person. That He's the Son of God who's risen from the dead. That you have considered the cost to follow Him. That you have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that you have been born again. And that you will grow and that you would mature in the newness of life being defined by God, the author and the finisher of your faith. Joshua 7, verse 16 a couple of weeks ago we left off where Achan has sinned. Remember God sent them in told them not to take anything. He was bringing the tribes before him and he was going to point out the issue. Because remember, they went into battle but they lost. And Joshua and the other leaders got down, was lamenting, throwing ashes and dust upon themselves, crying out to God, why did you allow this to happen? Joshua should have known better. And I love how God responded to Joshua when we read in Scripture, get up, uh, get up. Listen, too many times we allow ourselves to fall prey to false repentance. We ought to know God's character as we're growing and as we're maturing in Him. Joshua should have recognized, wait a minute, sin is among us. They were looking as if it was God. No, no, it's us. God tells them to get up. Bring the people before me. And this is where we pick up early the next morning. Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord. And the tribe of Judah was singled out. Then the clans of Judah came forward and the clan of Zerah was singled out. Then the families of Zerah came forward and the family of Zimri was singled out. Every member of Zimri's family was brought forward person by person and Achan was singled out. Could you imagine the scene? God knew all along who it was. (laughs) But as I said a couple weeks ago, a healthy fear of God is vital. (laughs) To our lives. Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Again, Achan... He has seen God move. 
He has heard testimonies of how faithful God is, how loving God is. He has heard testimonies of God's discipline to those who have sinned against Him. And yet in the moment and in, the, and in, the, and in that single second of passion when He looked upon what He wanted, He forgot everything and took it. God, let us not be like Achan. Who has said in his heart at that very moment, there is no God. I'll live how I want. I'll take what I want. I'll do what I want. I'll have what I want. And forget all that you know of God. You see, that is warfare. You want to know how to, to win in a spiritual warfare? Remind yourself of who God is and humble yourself. That's what the Word of God tells you. First, submit yourself to God. Then resist the enemy, and he has to flee. He has to flee. You see, when those moments of temptation come upon you, when the old man and the old woman starts a hollering, when the world lures you with its lust and its pleasures and the temporalness of this life, you better be quick to respond, no, for my God is great and my God is good and God is my provider and I will cling to Christ. He is enough for me. I am satisfied in Christ. I live for Christ. You better know who He is and your identity in Him. Or you are going to end up like Achan. Who said in that moment, He's not God. What every person in that moment from the beginning, Eve, was handed the fruit from the tree. And in that moment, he was no longer God. The relationship that she had with him, to walk with him, to be fully naked and not feel ashamed. There was no shame, there was no guilt, just wholeness and peace and love. Creation living to the fullness of, of, of its purpose. And she traded all of that for a piece of fruit. Because she believed a lie. Good God, stop believing lies. Start warfaring against them. Joshua tells him, don't hide it from me. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. And Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder I saw, look at this, a beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them, oh my God, listen to him. I wanted them so much that I took them. 
I wanted them so much. Be mindful and alert of what you want and who you want so much. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. And isn't that like us? We hide our sin. We hide our sin. No one's going to know. I'll put it on the front. He was among God's people. Are you hiding sin today? Oh, you better come clean. (laughs) Oh, you better come clean and deal with it. The wrong attitudes. The lust. The hopelessness. Whatever the sin may be, the gossiping, the backbiting. No No one else knows what I'm saying. sin you all we don't treat it lightly it kills it destroys nothing good comes from it it's death and why are we hiding it when God is gracious and kind just come before him receive forgiveness stop allowing sin to master you He dug it and he hid it deep. The silver deeper than the others. See, we are to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. We're to drag them out into the light. I don't want people to know. Who cares what people knows? Oh, but it's the same sin I exposed a year ago, a month ago. Who cares? If it is mastering you, expose it and be free. Be free. Unless you die and you have to stand before the living God. If you do not fear Him here, if you do not honor Him here, If you think your sin is nothing, you believed a lie. From the beginning all the way through to the end. He's the God of His Word. And I told you all this before. I know the popular message is, well, Jesus has done away with that God. Jesus has done away. Everyone's going to heaven. Everyone is entering in. Just come and sing Kumbaya. It doesn't matter. Just live how you want. Active sin in your life. Who cares? It's okay. God knows. God understands. God loves you. And we pervert His word. And we keep people in ourselves a slave to the very foe 
that he's already defeated. If sin was not an issue, why did Jesus come? Now, praise be to God, because of Christ, oh, we're not being struck down. Though God could move in this day, and if that's what he wanted to do, he would be just to do it. But remember what the word of God tells us. Like his wrath is being stored up. It's coming. It's coming. But Jesus came because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those who believe and have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus who believes that he is the Son of God and that he is risen from the dead, sin is no longer to be their master. But I'm sinning. Repent. But I sinned again. Repent. Why are we so infatuated with sin? And we say, oh, I can't come back to God because I, yet again today I've sinned. Oh, I've just repented, but the next hour I've sinned. And oh, isn't this just a crazy way? No, just keep getting up and keep moving forward because the more that you renounce it, the more that you confess it, the more that you repent it from it, the lesser the hold has on you. (laughs) Get up and be free. Stop hiding. And some people in church aren't even hiding their sin. For God's sake, they're just living it out loud in front of everyone. And no one says nothing. Oh, we don't want to say anything. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to offend. Oh, for God's sakes. I don't care. I care more about the eternity of others than I do of making them feel comfortable. Ah, come on. So Joshua sent some of the men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan... The silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. God is just. God will not continue to tolerate our rebellion. He will not. He will not. In Achan's moment... to look upon those items and to take them for himself 
trouble upon the whole nation. Brought trouble upon the whole congregation. Brought trouble upon his relatives. You see, our sin just doesn't affect us. It affects others. It affects others. That's what I'm saying. The justice of God will not be mocked. So don't be misled. You are going to harvest what you plant. And not just for yourself, but for others around you. But for others around you. If you would just live as under Christ, as a Christian ought to be living, you will impact those around you as well for the good. It's your choice. Life or death, what are you sowing to? What are you sowing among others? It's not a burden to live as a Christian. Oh, but they want me to be perfect. They see my flaws. They see when I fail. Well, then allow them to see you when you're restored and healed and repentive. Allow them to see you be gracious and kind and loving and forgiving. Allow them to receive what you are receiving freely be given to them. Remember what I told you, the weapon that we have in our arsenal to win is love. Not love that just overlooks stuff, but love that is firmly rooted in Christ, that honors Him, that upholds His truth to serve and to think of others before we think of ourselves. It's the valley of trouble. It's where Achan and his family members are laying. God help us. Chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Take all fighting men and attack Ai. For I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroyed Jericho and its king. But this time, you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. So Joshua and all the fighting men set out to attack Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 of his best warriors and sent them out at night with these orders. Hide in ambush close behind the town and be ready for action. When our main army attacks the men of Ai, we'll come out to fight as they did before, and we will run away from them. We will let them chase us until we have drawn them away from the town. For they will say, the Israelites are running away from us as they did before. Then while we are running from them, you will jump up, from your ambush and take possession of the town for the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the town on fire as the Lord has commanded you. Have You have your orders. So they left and went to the place of ambush between Bethel and the west side of Ai. 
But Joshua remained with among the people in the camp that night. Early the next morning, Joshua roused his men and started toward Ai, accompanied by the elders of Israel. All the fighting men who were with Joshua marched in front of the town and camped on the north side of Ai with a valley between them and the town. That night, Joshua sent out 5,000 men to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the town. So they stationed the main army north of the town and the ambush west of the town. Joshua himself spent that night in the valley. When the king of Ai saw the Israelites across the valley, he and all his army hurried out early in the morning and attacked the Israelites at a place overlooking the Jordan Valley. But he didn't realize there was an ambush behind the town. Joshua and the Israelite army fled toward the wilderness as though they were badly beaten. Then all the men in the town were called out to chase them in this way. They were lured away from the town. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not chase after the Israelites, and the town was left wide open. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Point the spear of your hand in your hand toward Ai, for I will hand the town over to you. Joshua did as he was commanded. As soon as Joshua gave the signal, all the men in ambush jumped up from their position and poured into the town. They quickly captured it and set it on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them, smoke from the town was filling the sky, and they had nowhere to go. For the Israelites who had fled in the direction of the wilderness now turned on their pursuers. When Joshua and all the other Israelites saw the ambush had succeeded and the smoke rising from the town, they turned and attacked the men of Ai. Meanwhile, the Israelites who were inside the town came out and attacked the enemy from the rear. So the men of Ai were caught in the middle with the Israelite fighters on both sides. Israel Israel attacked them and not a single person survived or escaped. Only the king of Ai was taken alive and brought to Joshua. When the Israelite army finished chasing and killing all the men of Ai in the open fields, they went back and finished off everyone inside. So the entire population of Ai, including men and women, was wiped out that day, 12,000 in all. For Joshua kept holding out his spear until everyone who lived in Ai was completely destroyed. Only the livestock and the treasures of the town were not destroyed, for the Israelites kept these as plunder for themselves. So Joshua burned the town of Ai, and it became a permanent mound of ruins, desolate to this very day. Joshua impaled the king of Ai on the sharpened pole and left him there until evening. At sunset, the Israelites took down the body as Joshua commanded, and threw it in front of the town gate. They piled a deep heap of stones over him that can still be seen today. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebi. He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written in the book of instruction. Make me an altar from the stones that are uncut and have not been sharpened, shaped with iron tools. Then on the altar they presented burnt offerings and a peace offering to the Lord. And as the Israelites watched, Joshua copied unto the stones of the altar the instructions Moses had given them. 
Then all the Israelites, foreigners and native-born alike, along with the elders, officers, and judges, were divided into two groups. One group stood in front of Mount Gerizim, the other in front of Mount Ebi. Each group faced the other, and between them stood the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. This was all done according to the commands that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had previously given for blessing the people of Israel. Joshua then read to them all the blessings and curses Moses had written in the book of instruction. Every word of every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Chapter 9, we're only going to go through verse 2. Now all the kings west of Jordan River heard about what happened. These were the kings of the Ites, all of those Ites listed there, who lived in the hill country in the western foothills and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far north as the Lebanon Mountains. These kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. And again, as I've said before, there will be people who will get in your face and tell you how horrible God is. And how could you love or serve a God that would wipe out those people? But child of God, do not back down from the faith in Christ and in the knowledge that you have of God. God is just. There is no error found in God in that battle. Those people were wicked. Those people were wicked. And God was just in his punishment on them. There's no error in God. There's none at all. God is just. Those people were and God dealt with him as he saw fit. And then we have to trust in the fact that God knows best. And God delivered his people, provided for his people. And I love this picture as it's being read because there's a couple things as, you, as you're learning of God and that you'll learn of God, that he is the banner that goes before you. And he is your rear guard. He, you are encamped about his presence. He's got you front, back, side, and side. He does not send you into battle. Remember, you're behind enemy lines daily on your own. Go figure it out. No, no, no. He trains us for battle. And as we're reading through these old battles of the Old Testament... We're not looking to battle in the natural as they did. They had to. But we are understand in this new covenant in Christ that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with rulers, with principalities and error of the darkness. Are you mindful of that daily? When you walk into work, when you walk into stores, when you wake up and you look at your spouse or your children, are you pleading the blood of Christ over your life and over your home? Are you laying hands and praying on your family and on your children? Are you calling them together for prayer? 
for worship. Well, they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. Well, are you at least doing it? See, you've got to live this out. You just can't have a form of religion and deny God's power. We have all that we need to succeed. We, in Christ, have received His victory. He's won. The enemy is defeated. So why are we living as if He is in control? It doesn't matter how we see things. God is victorious. And if you're not claiming that over your life, over your family life, over your children, over the nation, over our communities, over your work sites, if you're not going in and dealing with the principalities and the rulers and the air of the darkness, they will deal with you. You better go in and know who you are in Christ. You better go forth victorious. And when battles are won, when you have engaged in warfare and battles are won, your response ought to be worship. Don't puff yourself up. Don't look to you as if you're the, the, the prophet of the century, the evangelist of the century, the Christian of the day. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with God. And I'm sick and tired of seeing all these Christians, these prophets, these evangelists, all these people just talking about themselves and how great their anointing is. I much rather we hear them talk about how great God is how good He is, how kind He is, how favorable He is for the kingdom, by His power, for His glory. I love what Joshua did. He listed, he read out, he reminded the people of the commands of God. Of the word of God. He reminded them to remain faithful to God. Because God was faithful and is faithful to them. And that roused up his enemy. These other kings. They're collectively coming together now. Listen. This is a constant battle you all and if you're not growing if you're not being discipled you see people don't want to be discipled they want the weak willed Jesus and they want to keep living for themselves but no 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 you should long to be discipled you should be in church you should be desiring Christian community and fellowship so that you are being trained to remain steadfast and upright in a wicked and perverse generation. And I've heard people share the reason they don't want to be discipled. Oh, well, it just seems too much. I, I'm just not ready for that. Well, when are you ever going to be ready? When are you ever going to be ready? Well, I don't want to be called upon. 
Why are you looking at yourself? Well, I don't want, I feel intimidated. What are you doing? No, you want to grow. You want to have a hunger. Call on me if you must. Because that's how I'll learn. We've got to get over ourselves. We've got to get up from the sin that so easily entangles us and throw it off, the Bible says. This is warfare. This is the Christian life. This is Christ Jesus, the commander of the army of heaven. He's called us into service. He says, do not get entangled with civilian affairs. Oh, we got to get up. Go to Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 18. Luke chapter 16. Come on. Jesus told this story to the disciples, to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. And, and I'm too pred, proud to beg. Ah. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He said, he asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe, I owe him eight gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd, listen to Jesus' words, please, and dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Jesus' words. He wasn't praising the dishonesty. He was praising the shrewdness. He was praising the understanding. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone... They will welcome you to an eternal home. It's always sad. It seems the lost, it seems the world are wiser than Christians. And that 
is not how it should be. It's not how it should be. I love the scripture where it says we are to be as innocent as a dove, but wise as a serpent. Like, how are you going about your days, you all? If you are faithful, he continues, in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? You see, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be a slave to money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this, and they scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous and public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. But that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear, therefore smallest point of God's law to be overturned. For example... A man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. And anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Jesus was laying it out, exposing the religious heart. Exposing what they would rather treasure than allowing God to be their treasure. Exposing it. Even down to divorce. Because there's laws that were written that granted divorce and adultery and other situations. But what was happening is it just became the norm. I'm tired of her. I'm tired of him. We'll just divorce. You go your way, I go my way. It just became the norm for their society. And Jesus is calling it out. Remember, God hates it. God hates it. And as it is in our society, and as it will continue, marriage isn't easy, you all. Marriage isn't easy. But marriage is a covenant between God and between the husband and the wife. And we are to trust God. And we are to draw close to Him that we are drawn close to each other. But what if I'm married to an unbeliever? Then live your Christian life before them in hopes that they would be saved. Interest that in the New Testament. That give us understanding of how marriage and family under Christ and in Christ should function. We're not to be like the world. We're just not to write it off and dismiss it. We're to honor it. We're to honor it. And then you look at the move of what's happening even in our own nation. That we have a political party that is backing an organization 
that on their own website, their initiative and their hope is to destroy the nuclear family. To remove God out of the picture. And Christians are lining up. To agree with it. And that's just one out of many flaws. But God was exposing their hearts. God was exposing their treasure. This is your issue. And they didn't respond to having their hearts exposed. They grew even more frustrated with him. They hated him. They wanted him dead. And oh, that's what happens with religious people. So that's what happens when the heart's being exposed. They harden themselves to God. They harden themselves to the church. Everyone else is the problem. But me. But me, they say. It's everyone else. It's God. It's the church. It's the pastor. It's the sister. It's the brother. It's everyone else. The heart is so wicked and deceived. I mean, look at the church. Look at the condition of the church. At large. Where's the hunger for Christ? Where is the desire for Christ to be treasured among us? People show up when they want to show up. They contribute when they want to contribute. Give me Jesus. But they will be the first to call when life is rough. I told you this. They will be the first to call And I go, God, help us. They want Jesus on their terms. And I'm telling you, that is not a Christian. It's not a Christian. If you can find it in here, show it to me. I've challenged people for 20 some odd years. Show me. In Scripture, where you have the right to live for self. Show me. And listen, people like to twist it and pervert it. People like to point this and point that. But it's not the whole. You better know the word as you know your Christ, as you know him who is faithful who is love, who is good, who is merciful and kind and slow to anger. He's dealing with the religious people of their day. I had this note given to me this week and and this individual said to me, don't you think that's harsh? And I was like, really? Well, yeah, because as Christians, and I looked at her, And I said, no, I actually think 
that's a little lighter than what I would write. Because we're talking about the deception that's on this earth leading people to hell. And you think that's light? No, we better be bold. We better stand up. Not to the, not being rude to the world. But we better start going toe-to-toe with other so-called believers. We better love them enough, as Paul said, to toss them out. Turn them over to Satan. That's harsh. Those, that's harsh words. Paul, be a little bit, be a little lighter on us, Paul. No, turn them over to Satan in hopes that they will be saved. Not out of arrogance, not out of your own pride, not out of you, but you see what's ahead. If it is to continue or to be allowed, it will destroy. So if that's how you want to live, if that's how you want to believe, if that is what is your treasure, then go. Have at it. Enjoy it. the church she's to be holy and I said how did Jesus deal with religious people she was like oh my goodness I never thought about that I said for God's sake he insulted the men in their homes do you remember what we just read a few weeks ago they invited him in to sit to eat with them into the natural mind, he was very rude. He insulted them. Because he exposed them. He didn't treat it lightly. He didn't go, well, and you know, wring his little hands and, and, and play this wimpy, mousy type of. No! He called them out. He wasn't doing it just to do it. No. He was preserving himself truth because others were watching others were listening others had a desire to be free you see it all boils down to freedom either you are still shackled up marching with the others or you have been freed and you're running up alongside them saying come this way In Jesus' name, there is hope, there is freedom, there is power, there is life and abundance. And there's an excitement about your faith. There's a hope that you have to stand and stand upright then. To declare truth. Because people are being led away to the slaughter. So you're either on the side of good or you're on the side of evil. There's no middle road. There's no middle road. Good or evil. Go to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. 
How long will your hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. I say you are gods. You are children of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. You, God, alone are God. And so don't get confused when Scripture calls here and says, I say you are gods. We don't twist words of Scripture to promote that we become gods. <laughs> what this scripture is calling forth and in, 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 in exposing are unjust rulers, unjust judges of their day. And as it is with our day, and as it will continue until the day of Christ and His return, rulers, judges, people will serve and leadership position in wicked ways that oppress the poor, that are only looking for themselves and not seeking freedom for those that they lord over. Oppress the people and keep them oppressed. As it was then, so we see it today. We see today the culture of oppression. Keeping people a victim and enslaved and divided. Unjustly ruling over people. When you look at some of these cities who have been governed by the same political party for 40 something years and nothing has brought forth freedom. Oh, how I pray that we will look to God. Christians ought to be voting. Christians ought to be involved in the politics of the land, of their land. But God is ultimately our hope. No matter how it goes. No party is perfect. No man is perfect. No woman is perfect. But there are track records. All we have to do is open our eyes and see. And God help us. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth. For all the nations belong to you. Rise up, O God, and judge this nation. For this nation belongs to you. Oh, how we ought to be praying. Oh, how I pray that you have voted. Oh, how I pray that you are seeking God in this hour for this nation, for the earth. 
when you see what is happening throughout the earth, when you see what this plague has done to the earth, when you see the unjust, the violence, the oppressed, oh, how I pray you're crying out to God. Because it's only going to get worse. It must. The enemy must play his hand. And then Christ returns you all. So where's the hope? I keep telling you. The hope is the church is still here. The hope is the church is still here. The hope is you are still here among the living. The hope is is that you woke up as a child of God with breath in your body this day. This is the hope that is still available to those who lie in darkness and in oppression. So church, Christian, child of God, live out your faith and belief. Go to Proverbs 13, verse 2 and 3. Proverbs 13, verse 2 and 3. Wise words will win you a good meal, but treacherous people have an appetite for violence. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Oh, how I pray that we've heard and we take heart these two nuggets of wisdom. Wise words will win you a good meal. But treacherous people have an appetite for violence. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. May the Holy Spirit give us the wisdom that is needed to control our tongue. To have wisdom and to apply it in our lives. Listen, we've got the next few days and the days to come. And the season in which we're in, with the fear and the anxiety and everything that's rising up on this earth, can, can become even more chaotic. But it doesn't matter the storms of life. Rather, they're on a larger scale. When I think of what's happening in the Philippines today, started yesterday, with that huge storm coming in. When I think about what happened in Turkey and with the earthquake, when I think of all the storms that have slammed into the Gulf states, when I think of the fires, when I think of the plague, This COVID-19 killing thousands upon thousands throughout the earth. When I think of the people being locked down and shut down all throughout Europe. When you see the chaos brewing, the lives that are being ruined. That's at a grand scale. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. 
And maybe you're only dealing with your own personal life and looking at all that would just send you over the edge because in and of yourself, in and of your own life, you have enough storms that are happening around you. Your finances, your marriage, your family, your health, your job, your unemployment, whatever. And just every day, it takes every day for you to get up and to believe. (laughs) Well, know this. He is stronger and greater than any storm, you all. Than any storm. And we must remember, He's the one that can speak and in an instant, it settles. So keep looking up, you all. Keep trusting. Keep believing. God is faithful. God is good. And nothing takes Him by surprise and you can live and breathe and work and walk and live with the assurance that he's God so I'm going to close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer Yeah.